Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Well, pull out your notes for today's message if you'd like to do that. I'm going to share with you today, uh, we're going to start a brand new series for the month of March that I've called a church on the move. I want to be a part of a church that is on the move. I want to be a part of something that is alive. I'm not interested in a dead old religion. I don't know about you, but that's not where I'm coming from. I want to be a part of something that's dynamic and growing and going for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that we can be a part of this fellowship and experience that together. But what does it take for a church or even just bring it down to you personally, not just a church, but us personally. What does it take for us to be people of great victory and people who experience uh, the presence of God in very positive and dynamic ways in our lives? That's what we're going to be talking about uh, in the next uh, several weeks. And today I want to talk with you about keeping a spirit of praise in your life. And to do that, we're going to look over in Acts chapter 16. But before we read the scripture text itself, I want to give you just a, a little bit of background. Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his sidekick, a man by the name of Silas, they've arrived in the, in the Greek city of Philippi. If you've never heard of that city before, you've probably heard of the book of Philippians. That's the book that was written to the believers in the city of Philippi. Okay, so they've gone to the city of Philippi, and here they have been arrested because they had set a young slave girl free from demonic possession. And, of course, the first question that would come to my mind is why would anybody arrest people who have set a girl free from, from demons? I mean, you would think that would be seen as a good thing. The problem is this demon that was inside of this girl, she was a slave girl, and so she had an owner. And the owner used her to tell the future. She was a fortune teller, demonically possessed fortune teller. Now, the devil does not know what the future holds other than he knows what the Word of God says. So it's not like the devil can know the future the way that God knows the future, but he does read the signs really well. And he, can, he could, through her, uh, give some measure... Of, with some measure of accuracy, a, a, a word about the future. And so people would go to her and they would pay her owner money in order to get this uh, demonic prophecy over their lives. And they believed it. And so, so he was making, the owners making a lot of money off this. Well, Paul and Silas come in, they see the situation, and they cast the demon out of this girl. Well, now all of a sudden, the money that the owner's making is gone. And so they, they're irate about this. They're not, uh, the owner's irate. He's not happy at all. And so he and, and, and some of his friends, they, they form a mob and they grab a hold of Paul and Silas. And so this is where we pick it up in Acts 16, verse 22. A mob quickly forms against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. 
Some of you are old enough to remember about 20 years ago when a young American kid went over to Singapore, I believe it was, and he did, all he did was graffiti. You don't want to do graffiti in Singapore. They don't treat you very good. When you get caught over there, you don't get put into a nice, uh, comfortable uh, motel while you await trial. Do you remember they caned him? And I had never heard of caning before, but that's really what this is, being bit, beaten with wooden rods. Rods. Now, this, this young man, when he got back to the United States, was interviewed about the experience of being caned. He said it was the most horrifically painful experience he had ever gone through in his life. It, the, when the canes hit his back, it literally broke open the skin. And so, terrible, terrible experience. That's what happened to Paul and Silas. So they've been caning people for a very long time. All right, this is what happens to them in Philippi. Verse 23, they were severely beaten, it says here, and they were then thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, and so he took them, with no chances, he took them to the inner dungeon, and he clamped their feet in stocks. Well, around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Amazing. And the other prisoners are listening. And suddenly there's this great earthquake and the prison is shaken to its foundations. All the doors fly open and the chains fall off of all the prisoners. The jailer wakes up to see the prison doors open and he assumes now that the prisoners have escaped and so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, don't do it, we're all here. Well, you can imagine how he felt then. Trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with your entire household. Now, I, I will tell you that nearly every time I've heard this particular passage of scripture preached, the focus has been on the latter part there where this, this jailer and his household end up coming to Christ, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that is a powerful thing, and that's a powerful truth there, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. But I think the most impressive part of this story is found in verse number 25, which says these words, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now you say, why is this so impressive? Because you got to think about where they were, what had happened to them, what hour of the night it is, and what they are doing in this particular circumstance. You got to keep in mind again, they're not sitting in a comfortable auditorium on padded chairs. That's not where they're at. They had been beaten with rods. They had been caned. Verse 23 says, severely. Then they were thrown into prison, but not the nice part of the prison. They were thrown into what was called the dungeon of the prison, which is the lowest part of the prison. And, and this was the worst of the worst part of the prison. And this is where the rats ran wild. This is where the sewage ran through. And so this is where they've been thrown. Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine the pain that they're experiencing because they've been caned? All right. Keep that in mind. Now they're also put in stocks. So they're locked into irons. So they cannot 
escaped. They're in maximum security and their legs are in irons. So here they are. They're beaten. They're bleeding. Only about half alive in, in a smelly dungeon chained to the wall. And what are they doing? Are they griping? Are they complaining? Are they telling God they deserved better? Is that what they're doing? No, not at all. The Bible says they're praising God. They're lifting up praises to God in the midst of the smelly dungeon full of pain, full of hurt. They're giving God praise. And they're not doing it quietly either. Have you come from a church tradition that says that worship is really done quietly and you should never be expressing that? Well, those people don't read the Bible because the Bible is full of God's people expressing themselves dynamically to him in praise and in worship. It's all over God's word. So these guys, they're not being quiet. In fact, it says in verse 25 here that the other prisoners were listening. Now, don't, no doubt some of them were probably confused by uh, these two guys singing praises. Maybe some of them were mocking their praise. Perhaps some of them were being comforted by their praise. I don't know what happened there. But the point is, in that terrible environment, Paul and Silas were praising God. So let me ask you, what does it take for you to lose your spirit of praise? What does it take for you to lose your willingness to give God great praise? Just how comfortable does your life have to be for you to be praising God, for you to be a praising person? Does everything have to be just right for you? If everything's going good, then I go to church, but if it's not all going good, then I skip because I'm mad. Or if everything's going good, I go to church and I praise God. If everything's not going good, then yeah, maybe I'll still go to church, but I'm not going to praise God. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I don't feel it, so I'm just not going to do it. Is that your spirit? Is that your heart? Do this, let me ask you, just how perfect do things have to be in your life? I'm not trying to condemn. I'm trying to encourage you here with a, with a thought, with an idea from, that we see out of the life of the Apostle Paul. What has to be right in your life for you to be a praising person? Do the songs have to be just to your liking? I have known people in church, I've been in this a long time, who will not praise God if the songs aren't the ones that they like. They just withhold themselves and they say, well, I am not going to participate. If it's too hot, do you lose your joy? Does there have to be plenty of money in your account for you to praise God? Does the building have to be exactly at the right temperature for you to be willing to praise God? These are just thoughts that came to my mind. Speaking of temperature, it reminded me about uh, a service that Carrie and I attended several years ago. We went down to see my brother and his wife and family down in Tucson. And how many of you know Tucson can get hot sometimes, you know? And if I recall correctly, it was the month of May. So up here in Salt Lake City, it would have been, you know, a very moderate 80-some degrees or whatever. But that particular year, anyway, it was not moderate at all down in Tucson. We went down to see the graduation of our, of our nephew 
in the month of May, and it was 105 degrees outside. We decided that we would go to the nice, comfortable AG church there in town and worship God and get out of the heat and, 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 and just get into that nice environment. So we walked into this church building, which sat about 1,200 people. Uh, to get that in mind, that's about two and a half times bigger than our, our auditorium. And it was, it was just about totally full of people. So there was probably maybe 1,000, 1,100 people that were, that were there that morning. And it was a great spirit, and we were really expecting something great. The only problem is when we walked in, we found out that one of the two air conditioning units that serviced the auditorium was broken. That's always how it happens. It happens on Sunday mornings. It always happens. You don't know about it on Thursday. You know about it on Sunday morning. That's when you find out. And so we walked in there, and it was kind of a little cool in some ways. But then, boy, there was just this heat that was in there. And, and, and so we, we walked in, and the pastor got up, and he apologized. And he said, you know, one of our, one of our air conditioning units is, is down, and I'm sorry about that. But he said, I just encourage you to say to the person standing next to you there, hey, at least it's a dry heat. And you've heard that, and it was. It was a dry heat. But I will tell you, 105, whether it's dry or humid, is hot. It's hot. And so it was 105 outside. It was probably that hot or hotter inside that auditorium that morning. And I wondered to myself, how would these people respond? But what impressed me about them was the spirit of praise that filled the hearts of these people in that hot, uncomfortable environment. That church was full of praise and worship unto God that morning. There was life all over the place. It was like the people were just saying, devil, you are not going to shut my praise down just because it's hot inside the church building. We're going to praise God because he is worthy of my praise. And boy, did they praise him that morning. I was just amazed. They were up in the front. They were dancing before the Lord. They were shouting before the Lord. They were clapping before the Lord. Some of them came up to the front and just began to love on Jesus up here at the front by the stage. And, and the same thing that happened to, to Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 started happening in the lives of those people who were in that environment that was less than comfortable, but they were giving praise unto God. The, the prison doors began to open up. The chains began to fall off of their lives. And I'm not talking about literal chains, and I'm not talking about literal prison doors, but I'm talking about chains that had wrapped around the hearts of people and made them feel hopeless and made them feel suicidal and chains of bitterness and chains of of old habits that had controlled them. Those binding shackles just fell off of those people all over their church. There was a spirit of praise. There was a spirit of miracles taking place in that church because the people had come together to give praise and to worship unto God. Let's give him praise this morning, church. You can worship God and see his miracles flow. You know, we call ourselves Life Church. But life, we are not alive just because we have the word life on the outside. We are alive only because we have come together to experience his life within us and we are giving our life back to him and to one another. And it comes from a praising environment. I want people to walk into this place and experience the praise and the worship of God and experience new hope and new life for their lives because Jesus really 
Religion won't do it. But Jesus will make the difference in the life of an individual. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk with you about the power of praise in your life. So not just the effect it will have upon us as a church, but the effect it will have upon you personally, day in and day out, as you learn to become a person of great praise. Number one, praise acknowledges that God is in control. We need God in control. If you're, if you're banking on the government to be in control, you're, you're, you're looking the wrong direction. We need the power of God to be in control. And praise actually puts God in control of circumstances. The reason that Paul and Silas could praise God in prison was because they knew that God was in control of their lives. The, the mob had grabbed them, but the mob wasn't in control. And the Jews who incited this, they weren't in control. And the jailer who imprisoned them, he wasn't in control. And their circumstances of pain weren't in control. Even the devil wasn't in control. They knew, these two men knew, that the God of heaven, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords was in control of their lives every step of the way. And so they gave praise. Praise unto him. You go back to, to a man by the name of King David, the second king of Israel. He was a man who experienced many times of extreme trial and hardship in his life. I mean, you know, you think about the fact that he was anointed king by the prophet, and yet instead of sitting on a throne, he's running for his life from the, the current king, King Saul, who was out to kill him because of jealousy. And even when David eventually did become the king over Israel, he, he still had to constantly fight off his enemies that were trying to bring him down, trying to oppose him, even from within his own family. His own son, a boy by the name of Absalom, sent him running for his life when he led a rebellion against King David and yet this man who knew the, the treason of his own family, who knew the treason of others who opposed him within the kingdom, this man uh, who knew so much adversity also is known as the author of at least half of the psalms that you have in your Bible. And those psalms are filled with praises unto God, even in the midst of his worst times in life. Listen to just a small sampling of praises from David's heart. Psalm 44, verse 8. O God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly praise your name. I underline those words because I want you to see, he said, no matter what I'm going through, I'm constantly giving praise to God. You become that kind of a person and the power of God will be released in your life. Number, or Psalm uh, rather 47, verse 1. Come, everyone... Clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Psalm 48, as your name deserves, O God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Well, why should I praise God when I'm going through a hard time? Because his name deserves it. That's what it says. Your name deserves praise, O God, no matter what I'm going through in my life. Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. 
That is my prayer, God. I want to be singing your praises. I believe that when Billy Graham left this earth and stepped on the other side, before he made the transition, he was giving great praise to the God he had served and he had loved. With the anticipation, his son said, he was looking forward to his home going to heaven. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. That's in here. Praise him in this mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is that a praising spirit is not dependent on right or perfect circumstances. In fact, I have learned that praise is oftentimes most powerful when it is given to God in the midst of some of the worst problems that we face in life. A number of years ago, I used to suffer terribly from migraine headaches, and some of you know what that's like, and you've been there. And I, I have, they were debilitating, they were so painful. I had a few of them in the pulpit. And I'll tell you, those were the shortest sermons I ever preached when I had a migraine going on. And probably some of you wish I had one going on right now. You get out of here, you know. But I hope not. But at any rate, I had that happen a few times when I, when I was preaching the pulpit. But mostly, they happened during the work week. And I remember one particular time, I was pastoring a different church at that time. And, and brothers and sisters, I mean... I. You, if you suffer with them, you know what I'm talking about. The aura came on, and once the aura started, I knew I had about a half hour till about till the pain shot started. You know, so once the aura started, I dismissed myself from work and I drove on home. Got into uh, my bed, made the room as dark as possible because light just is terrible when you're suffering with a migraine, and. And I'm laying there in bed, and I mean, this one was a, a really bad one. I had some of them that weren't so bad, but this one was a really bad one. And I'm laying there, and I'm kind of praying to God, and I'm saying, Lord, I really need your help. I need your strength. It'd be wonderful if you'd heal me of this. It'd be wonderful if you'd take the pain away. But then I remember, this is not a quote, but I said something to the effect like this. I just remember just a, a courage rearing up inside my spirit, and I just said, I am not going to allow this pain to stop me from praising God. And I remember saying, Jesus, whether the pain goes away or not, I am going to give you the praise and the glory for who you are in my life and for how you've saved me and how you've changed my life. And whether the pain stops or not, God, I am yours and I'm giving myself to you and I am praising your name forever and ever. And as I did that, a peace came over me. The pain was still there, but I was able to fall asleep. And after sleeping for several hours, I woke up and it was all gone. I was set free from that pain. What I'm telling you this morning is that when we acknowledge that God is in control over everything in our lives and we give him praise for that, he begins to work in miracle fashions. Circumstances are not in control of your life. Your checkbook is not in control. The doctor's report is not in control. Jesus is in control and praise acknowledges that. He is in control of your life. Secondly, praise destroys fear. When Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten, they had no idea if, the, if this would, would lead to their deaths. 
And there was undoubtedly a sense of fear that perhaps came over their hearts about it. You know, what, what's the next few hours going to produce? What's going to happen in the next couple of days? But years later, Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. They had a temptation to fear, but instead of giving in to the fear, they began to praise God for his victory over their situation, and it destroyed the fear. Now, a sound mind that Paul says is a gift from God is a mind that's disciplined and it's focused on who God is and trust in him, in his ultimate outcome. A sound mind doesn't vacillate back and forth. Well, you know, I don't know if I believe in God or not. It stays focused on God. It stays focused on God's promises, focused on God's faithfulness, and it stays focused on praising God. That's what will produce a sound mind within your life. And this is what I want you to write down in your notes. It's a powerful truth. Fear cannot grow in a praising heart. Fear will not grow in a praising heart. Several weeks ago, I was reading a book by a man, a Christian author by the name of Max Locato, entitled Fearless, and he had a chapter in that book called Worst Case Scenarios. He was talking about different uh, situations that we face in life and how we have fear over those things. And in this particular chapter, he was, he was dealing with worst case scenarios. So in other words, what if this terrible thing happens? And, and people live in a bondage to fear over what might happen. Not what has happened, but what might happen to them. And he, he talked about several different things that, you know, come to our minds. Uh, when we think about the potential of, of, of suffering or the potential of, of um, trials that are out there in life. And he talked about the fear of growing senile. I mean, you just take one trip into an Alzheimer's unit, and, and that'll do that to you. The, the fear of that happening to you, the, the, the fear he talked about of um, not being able to provide for your family, the fear of public failure, the fear of unemployment that people have, of some people, a fear of heights that they have, a fear of never finding the right spouse, a fear of bad health, a fear of being trapped, abandoned, or forgotten, and on and on and on. And this is what he said in that chapter. These are real fears born out of legitimate concerns, yet left unchecked, they metastasize into obsessions. And then later in the chapter, he said these words. As followers of God, you and I have a huge asset. We know everything is going to turn out all right. Christ hasn't budged from his throne and Romans 8.28 hasn't evaporated from the Bible. Our problems have always been his possibilities. The kidnapping of Joseph resulted in the preservation of his family. The persecution of Daniel led to a cabinet position. Christ entered the world by a surprise pregnancy and redeemed it through his unjust murder. Dare we believe what the Bible teaches, that no disaster will ultimately, is ultimately fatal. When chained between two guards in the bowels of a Roman prison, within earshot of the executioner, Paul wrote these words later after Acts 16 to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.18, God's looking after me, keeping me safe 
in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him, praise forever. That's the spirit that we have, that no matter what happens to us in this world, we are going somewhere. We have a confidence in the fact that we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. If you want victory over your fear, if you want that, then you've, start, you've got to start praising God. You've got to learn to keep a spirit of praise about you because it destroys fear. Number three, praise builds faith. In the same way that it destroys fear, it starts replacing the old fear with new faith. You start believing for things that you never believed for before. Suddenly, there's kind of a faith moment in your life, and you say, man, I used to worry over that. But suddenly, I, I, why, what, why the change? What happened? Why am I not worry, worried or fearful over that? It's because the praising heart within you is building faith within you. So when David faced Goliath, he did so with a strong sense of faith. As a shepherd boy, he had learned how to praise God. That's what you see in David's life. Here's a young man who had a strong praise life. But when he stood eyeball to eyeball, or maybe I should say eyeball to navel against, um, against Goliath. With that giant mocking his God, a fire grew within David's belly and a holy anger. And he said, in effect, Goliath, you are not mocking me. And Goliath, you're not mocking Israel. Goliath, you are mocking the king of kings. You are mocking the God of heaven. And a holy courage filled David's heart. And, and he went up against a man he had no chance up against. But the power of God directed a little stone from his sling and it buried itself in Goliath's forehead. And it didn't kill him. It knocked him out. And then David went over and slew the Goliath with his own sword that day. And a great victory happened for all of Israel because of a young man who had developed a heart of prayer praise unto God and the transformation and the courage that came to his life because of it. Uh, I'm just here to tell you that if you become a praising person, no matter what's going on in your life, it will begin to destroy the fear and build the faith inside of you. And you'll approach that thing with a new, a new sense of victory. I want to wrap it up real quickly for you this morning. Number four, praise confuses demons. They can't stay in the atmosphere of praise. Mom and dad, let me tell you, you can take your family back when you fill your heart and you fill your home with praise. Don't give up. Number five, praise sets the atmosphere for victory in your life. Walls of opposition come tumbling down. That's exactly what Israel faced when they went up against Jericho. And they, when they went against Jericho, if you know the story, they didn't go with sword and with spear. They went with a praise, with a shout of praise. They marched around Jericho's walls. That Jericho's walls were so high and so thick, it is said that chariot races could take place on the top of those walls. They, several chariots wide could race around the top of those walls. It was impregnable. No way Israel's going to make it in. But the God of heaven had a different idea. And he said, you start praising me. And they started praising him. And you know what? Those walls came tumbling down. And, and Israel went into Jericho and defeated the enemy. The same thing will happen for you. And then number six, praise releases God's power. Strongholds fall. Bondages break. 
Miracles begin to happen. It's in the atmosphere of praise. Folks, when you come together and worship next week, when we come together, you come with a spirit of praise within your heart, no matter what's going on inside your life, and say, we're going we're gonna to build an atmosphere that releases God's power around here. Amen? Amen. And even in your own home, you just start praising God, no matter what's going on. You put on those CDs of praise, and let's see what God does. I'm going to close this service by inviting the worship team to come on back up here. And I thought the best way we could end this service today is by praising God. So will you stand with me right now and we're going to open our hearts up and maybe you can just kind of get something into your own spirit and own heart, maybe in your mind. Maybe you've got a sickness in your mind. Maybe you've got a financial difficulty in your mind. Maybe you've got a marriage situation in your mind. Maybe you have a friend that's away from God that you're burdened for. Maybe your kids are away from God. You're burdened for them. I want you to get a praising spirit. Just bring that to the altar of praise and say, God, I'm releasing this thing to you. And let's see what God does. Let's all just praise the Lord this morning.
This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.